Hello and welcome to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. I'm Daniel Connolly here with Megan Gower. We have a date. The first game of UConn women's basketball season, August 14th against Arkansas at home. We don't know whether it's the XL Center or Gamble Pavilion yet, but finally, after all this time, schedule is not out yet, but we do know most of the non-conference schedule and we have a start date for the season. We talked about last episode that we actually discussed things as opposed to our discussion with Katie Barnes, which was great if you haven't listened to that. But we talked about how they don't really have that many home games and there's not really a game that's fitting to be a home opener. So hopefully this last regular season game that they have a slot for is an exciting game. It's a decent opponent, but it's not someone that's going to be, you know, a battle down to the wire. Not only did they get that with Arkansas, we also found out that the NCAA applied a blanket waiver for all of women's basketball that's going to allow them to play an extra game. So UConn could have one more non-conference game that is yet to be announced. They're still looking for it. So overall, very exciting to have a start date for the year. A good team, even though I don't think they should get much trouble from Arkansas, considering who they've lost since they beat UConn last year. Very good start to the season, in my opinion. Yeah, agreed. A very different Arkansas team and what they saw last year when they lost to them and that, you know, they've lost both Destiny Slocum and Chelsea Dungy to the WNBA right now. They do return Amber Ramirez, so they do return like one third of that really solid backcourt that they had last season. But overall, a younger Arkansas team, a team that's going to be a good opponent, probably an NCAA tournament type team, but not a team that's going to, you know, give you kind of time to trouble to start off the season. So a good addition to the schedule. Right. And I think that's exactly what you want in a season opener. You don't want to have to get up and play South Carolina the first time you ever play a game together after a long preseason, especially with a team like this. But you also don't want to just play pretty much a bye game where you're going to beat the team by 55 points. There's really not that much difference between that and an exhibition game. Speaking of exhibition games, Manchester J.I.'s Carl Adamek reported that UConn is going to play Fort Hayes State in an exhibition date not yet announced. That name sounds familiar. UConn played them in an exhibition game back in 2017, I want to say. So good to see that there is going to be an exhibition game this year after last season. All those got knocked out because those are always exciting. It's the first time we see the team play, but also because there's really no stakes and UConn's going to win by 65. You get to see a lot of players. You get to see a lot of combinations. And it's really an introduction to the freshman and to a certain degree, Dorky Uhas. So really two new games that kind of came out, but. Again, with Arkansas, you don't want that third exhibition game to start the year. You need a little bit of a challenge, someone that's going to push you a little bit, give you a different look. And especially with an Arkansas team that, yeah, they might not be as talented as they were last year, but Mike Neighbors is clearly a good coach. And the more well-coached teams you can play, the better, because it's going to be tough to beat those teams, even if you have a very, very clear difference in talent. And even if the score is by 40 points, it doesn't mean it'll be an easy win. So pretty much a perfect opponent and it just makes sense logistically as UConn went there last year, they come here this year, you pretty much get a two game series out of thin air. Yeah, exactly. And then also just an opponent that's playing in a tough conference is going to help their, you know, metrics and stuff going into the NCAA NCAA tournament as well. So a good add to the schedule, I think A, a really good way to start off the season. Right. Very rarely a bad, SEC opponent, at least one, a bad one, very rarely a bad one that ends up on UConn's schedule. Speaking of the non-conference schedule, we finally got the opponents 
not the opponents, the matchups for the Battle for Atlantis tournament down in the Bahamas during Thanksgiving week, as I think both of us continue our quest to try and convince <laughs> the people that we need to convince to get us there. I'm not all that confident about it for me. I don't know how you're doing in that regard. <laughs> not great. I don't, I've tried to convince my family we should just go for the whole week and watch the men play on Thanksgiving and we'll play the first half of the week. But yeah, I'm not having much success. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if there's any non-conference game that you're going to travel to, if there's any tournament you're going to travel to, this is the one to do. Where did they play a couple of years ago? That was the Virgin Islands, right? The U.S. Virgin Islands? Yeah. Paradise Jam? Yeah. I feel like it sucks in a way that it is Thanksgiving week because it would probably be like way more reasonable to get down there if it was in Thanksgiving week and every flight costs like five hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah, we can dream though. Maybe yeah. by that point we'll have won the lottery that we talked about using to buy an NWSL team. We can just take the first part of that money and go down to the Bahamas for the Paradise, <laughs> not the Paradise Jam, the Battle for Atlantis. It's go. a good, it's a good field too. UConn's going to open up against Minnesota. Not exactly the best team, but they're coached by Lindsey Whalen. So that's something. It's also, I think you'd rather have an opponent like that over just, I mean, in general, power five opponents good, even if they're not the best team in the world. Then if you win that game, you're going to be playing the winner of USF and Syracuse. USF, obviously, UConn is very, very familiar with from their time in the American. I think that would be a really good matchup for UConn because, as we know, Jose Fernandez is one of the best coaches in college basketball. Not that UConn has trouble with them, but I think it would just be good to get that matchup going again. I imagine they're going to become an opponent on UConn's schedule rather frequently against Syracuse, who UConn also very familiar with, just beat in the NCAA tournament last year, but going to be a very different looking program by the time the battle for Atlantis rolls around, considering literally the entire team left, including the coach, who was he fired or did he resign? I think he resigned, right? He, re- Quentin Hills he resigned. Yeah. Resigned amidst investigations. Yes. But I'm sure would have <laughs> resulted in him being fired. Yes. That is a very important distinction to make. He was investigated for, I believe it was harassment, verbal abuse and things of that nature. Right. Yeah. I think there was an article in the athletic that laid out a lot of the details, but yeah, just all around that great thing. So a very different looking Syracuse team for sure. Yeah. So I think, I mean, it feels like that should be South Florida's game to win. I I have no idea what's happening with South Florida. I'd rather be doing anything else on the planet than keeping up with the American athletic conference. But when you're replacing an entire roster, including the coach, that doesn't exactly seem to be a recipe for success. And then on the other side of the bracket, the way it's set up, UConn has a chance to not only potentially meet Oregon, to not only potentially meet Oklahoma, two programs of varying degrees that have been successful in the past, they could also meet a big one, one that I think we'd really be looking forward to. Buffalo. Felicia Legit Jack just has a great program. They gave you kind of really tough time during the NCAA tournament last year. I can't imagine a more difficult task for UConn to win the battle for Atlantis then going up against that program in Buffalo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but in all seriousness, like, I think that actually it's a huge disappointment for either team on either side of the bracket that this is not a UConn-South Carolina game in that, in that final game. Like, right. Two teams that should 
pretty much unarguably be to the top three teams in the country next season. Yeah, I mean, you talk about talent on rosters. It is UConn, it is South Carolina, it's Stanford, and then 50 feet of crap, and then the fourth <laughs> best team in the country. It's yeah. not even going to be close. And Oregon probably will have a decent team next year, considering the way they've been recruiting, considering just how good of a coach Kelly Graves is. But they're just in a different stratosphere than UConn and South Carolina. So those two teams are already scheduled to play each other. Well, UConn scheduled to go out to Oregon and then also to South Carolina. But in terms of UConn, South Carolina, yeah, I think I'm repeating myself here. UConn and South Carolina could potentially meet twice this season, which I think is just, that's a great thing because we don't have the date exactly for the originally scheduled game with South Carolina, but you'd have to imagine that's a January, February type game as it almost always is. So for these two teams to get to play each other early in the year, are these going to be their third or second, third, fourth games of the year? They might be if they're opening up on November 14th, or at least maybe there'd be one more in between then, but this is going to be very early in the season for both these teams. Yeah, exactly. So they'll get to play them very early in the season, most likely. And then again, sometime kind of January, February timeline. And then I'm likely again at some point in March. So I think it'll be really exciting to see these teams against each other twice. I would say, like you said, like between the two of them and Stanford, you have your three very obvious, I think, title favorites going into the season. So having South Carolina on the schedule as a measuring stick of like how you're stacking up against really the top of the country twice during the season is going to be huge for this team. Yeah. And I think as we saw last year, specifically what, what a team starts out as and what a team finishes the season as can be two very, very different things. And this is a young UConn team, one that although they return a lot of players from last year, doesn't necessarily have a ton of experience. And last year they had no distractions, none whatsoever. They were either in the gym or in their rooms, no one between going down to play in the Bahamas you're going to have plenty of distractions. And I think that's a really good thing because you're going to have to learn how to work through not just being in basketball mode all the time. You're going to have to get focused very early in the season where this past year they didn't play a good team until Arkansas really. And they finally got exposed in that Arkansas game. We're going to find out if this UConn team is legit on November 22nd, barring a major upset on either side of this bracket. So I think that's just going to be very fun to watch. And like you said, a good measuring stick for both programs, but let's just get ahead of this. Now, if UConn loses this game, that does not mean that South Carolina is most definitely going to win the second game or is clearly the favorite. And if UConn wins this game, that does not mean UConn is just going to roll to a national championship because that early in the season, it's hard to draw any dramatic conclusions. Even if it's a blowout one way or another, I still don't think that's going to be a sign that, Oh yeah this team is very clearly better than the one that they just beat. Yeah, exactly. As it always is with these early season tournaments, especially when you're playing like three games in three days, it's just a a very different setup. There's a lot of distractions. Like you said, all these players are also trying to somewhat enjoy a vacation in the Bahamas during it. So yeah, I mean, no dramatic conclusions to come for that, but it'll be exciting to watch. I feel like seeing that game on the schedule, even though I guess you already knew they were both in the field, but just like seeing it laid out as the potential championship game makes me want to try to get down there even more because I just think getting to watch that game in person is going to be a lot of fun. You've got just so much talent on both sides of the court there. Yeah. So the rest of UConn's schedule, it's going to play 20 games in the Big East, obviously, 
Then at home, it has Arkansas, as we mentioned, Notre Dame, and Tennessee. They're going to travel to Georgia Tech on December 9th for Olivia Nelson Adota's homecoming. And then again to South Carolina and Oregon. They're also going to be in, as we just talked about, the battle for Atlantis, three games there. Minnesota, USF, South Carolina is the most likely path that they have through that bracket. And also the Hall of Fame showcase game against Louisville on December 19th at Mohegan Sun. They have one more slot open. It would be incredible if they could figure out a way for that to be Stanford. If it's not Stanford, I think a very good consolation prize would be Iowa. Anything other than that, I think I might be a little disappointed. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And I hope they get another big game for that, you know, second game. I also think just with, especially with the 20 game biggie schedule, I think we saw it in like just the selection last year and the last couple of years, it's just so critical for them to have a strong non-conference schedule to kind of make up for the fact that they just don't get the challenges in conference play that teams that are playing in the SEC or the ACC or the Pac-12 are getting. So yeah, I, I agree. I think hopefully we see Stanford, Iowa would be good. Maryland would also be a solid choice, but I believe they're already on the schedule for next year. So I'd be surprised to see them added. So yeah, hopefully one of those two teams. There's been a Maryland series floating around forever. I don't actually know if that's been officially announced. It got reported. And then I don't know if it ever got made official. I could be misremembering. There's been way too many things flying around with the schedule (laughs) in the last 18 months. Yeah, (laughs) very true. (laughs) So obviously last year when UConn played South Carolina, the big story from that game was Paige Becker's just going off, especially in the fourth quarter and in overtime where she scored every single point for UConn in overtime. That wasn't the night that Paige Buckets was born, but that was the night Paige Buckets really became Paige Buckets. And speaking of that nickname, why I've said it about three times now, news came out today that Paige Beckers filed a trademark application for the nickname Paige Buckets to use on athletic wear, which means t-shirts, pants, hats, jackets, athletic uniforms everywhere, which is a result of the new NIL legislation, which allows players to profit off of themselves. I mean, this is, a, this is really a no brainer for page Beckers basically put out a t-shirt with page buckets on it, sit back and just, you can retire on that money. Probably. I mean, being a little sarcastic, but that is going to be a huge money maker for her, assuming it gets approved and she gets a good design and all of those sorts of things. But just very, very easy passive income for her. Yeah, exactly. I think half of the state of Connecticut will probably be walking around with page bucket shirts once they're available. So a really a no-brainer for her in terms of an easy way to make some money. I mean, that could end up being the state flag, if we're being honest. <laughs> I, I'm here for it. Lamont should take notes. <laughs> I mean, look, I have so many great ideas for Ned Lamont, starting with... Not to overlap with our other podcast, but starting with a Lillison Nair statue, uh, replacing the flag with a Page Buckets logo. I mean, what's the Connecticut flag right now? It's very pointless, isn't it? It's like a blue background with like grapevines and something in Latin. Yeah, I think it's like the crest or something. I don't even know. It's yeah, nothing exciting for sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, Page back Buckets would be better. But I think it also just shows that this NIL era is starting very, very quickly. And we've seen it a little bit with some of the other players. Sailor Poffenbarger had a basketball camp that she held for middle school girls. I think AZ Fudd had a camp for the Pat Summit Foundation. I'm actually not certain if that one's totally NIL related, but at the very least, they're able to host these clinics and these camps, which is something that they weren't able to do before, which seems mind-blowing. But it's such an easy thing for them to, in your hometown, if you're a UConn player, just any 
not even division one athlete, just collegiate athlete who's gotten to the next level to have a camp like that. It feels very, very simple. And it's just good to see things finally moving in this direction. After all we talked about of not really knowing what it's going to look like, we're starting to know what it looks like a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure as we get closer to the season and stuff, it's going to take even more shape, but I think it's just in general, it's exciting to see that these athletes can make money. I feel like it's one of the things I've thought a lot about like watching the Olympics and stuff and like the gymnasts and stuff that usually have to check, choose between like, do they make money off the Olympics or like go compete in college athletics and they like no longer have to make that choice. I thought a couple of years ago, the NCAA had some change of rules where they said athletes are allowed to keep their prize money from the Olympics. Did I just dream that? No, I think they can. I meant more of a fact that like the prize money for the Olympics isn't that significant. And, like, oh yeah, yeah. They would make the money off of is all the sponsorships that they will be offered from competing in the Olympics. Yeah. Right. I mean, you're such a prominent athlete for that. And what's unfortunate is players like Aliyah Edwards and UConn's other international players aren't going to be able to profit off that because international players aren't allowed to. There is a big story somewhere very good radio where I'm not able to remember actually where the story was, but about how the international athletes have pretty much been forgotten about and are on the outside here. So while all their American teammates can make their own clothing lines, can endorse products, can host basketball camps, these international players, even just Canadians like Aaliyah Edwards, aren't allowed to do that. Yeah, I think it's really disappointing. I hope they find a way to like adjust that. I get that like with the student visas and stuff that probably adds some complications, but I, I do hope they find a way to, to fix that. Well, speaking of the Olympics and Aaliyah Edwards, we're going to talk about everything that's going on with the former and current UConn players in the Olympics when we get back from this ad break. And we're back. Before we get into the Olympics, just a quick show note that we probably should have let off with. I'm going on vacation in two weeks which means we are not going to have an episode in two weeks. We're going to take pretty much a month off just in August. There's not a whole lot to talk about to begin with. And then we're going to return once September gets here and begin the lead up to the season, eventually switching back over to one episode every week instead of an episode every two weeks. We'll figure out when we get there, but just as a heads up, so you're not looking for it when it gets to Tuesday and Wednesday, two weeks from now, I'm going to be somewhere without my phone. Very excited for that, but Speaking of the Olympics, we have another Olympian on the wall of gold medalists. Steph Dolson won gold with USA Basketball three on three. Not that they rolled through the competition and did it without breaking a sweat, but they pretty comfortably won gold. It's not like they got any major challenge. They did lose one game, but that was after they already automatically qualified for the semifinals. So even Kelsey Plum admitted after that game that they didn't really have their heads in it because they had already gotten through. So if your only loss is one that didn't even matter, and then not like the semifinals and finals were blowouts, but they weren't exactly close games. So Steph Dolson was just a monster in those three on three games. I think we talked about before that she seems like a very perfect player for that type of game. And she just cleaned up on the boards. And a lot of the other countries just had no answer for her size and her strength down in the post. Yeah, exactly. I think you put it perfectly. <laughs> Pretty much no other country had any answer for her inside underneath the basket. So she really dominated throughout kind of all eight or seven or eight games that they played to get to that gold medal. Um, but yeah, just overall, I think the U.S. team kind of just ran, didn't totally run away with it, but definitely slightly ran away with that gold medal. They jogged away with it. Yeah. <laughs> 
What did you think of three on three? Had you watched it much before the Olympics? Yeah. So actually the Olympics was the first time I watched any of the games. I knew like had known what was going on during qualifying and all, obviously, but I hadn't really watched any. It's so much fun to watch. It moves so quickly. I feel like the first time you watch it, it's a bit of a shock. Cause it's like, I think it's what 12 second shot clock. And it just, yeah. it goes so fast, especially in the games where they dominated. It's like you blink and the game's like over, but it, it's a lot of fun to watch. I, I really enjoyed watching it. Right. It's literally total chaos for, like you said, 10 minutes or whoever is at 21 first. I didn't really process when I read 12 second shot clock, how quick that is, because you think you have to get it back to the three point line. So by the time they really get going with things, there's already nine seconds left. So it is just constant, fast paced, high octane action. I was, I enjoyed it a lot. I didn't get to watch every single game because they were on at really weird times. Like every game they played two games a day. And the first one was always at like 4 a.m. And yeah, I, I just wasn't going to do that for a 10 minute game, but it was the gold medal game, especially, which I watched live. That was a ton of fun. So I didn't really know what to expect. And I thought it was a little weird when it got announced a couple of years ago that it was going to be in the Olympics, but I'm fully on board with it now. And I think, I mean, we don't know what the Olympic team in three years now is going to look like, but feels like a safe bet that UConn player is going to be on it. Hopefully it's Katie Lou Samuelson who, the last podcast is all the last you've heard about USA three on three. We had been talking about how Steph Dolson and Katie Lou Samuelson were going to be on the team. But then just before they were supposed to leave for Tokyo news came out that Samuelson tested positive for COVID-19 despite being fully vaccinated and wasn't able to go with them to Tokyo, which is just the worst possible outcome because she's fully vaccinated. She did everything in her power to be able to go and it's not like, I just don't know what else she could have done in order for it to happen. And she posted a video where she said she got a sore throat and a little bit of a fever. It's just, that is the worst. That is absolutely the worst. And it is so unfair to her in a situation that I just don't know what else anyone could have done anything about. Yeah. Just really, really unlucky. I feel like she's a player that's just had a lot of bad luck in her career. So just kind of like a continuation of that, but yeah, really unfortunate. Cause like you said, she did do everything she's supposed to do and she still tested positive. So super unfortunate for her. Also, I feel like I have to say that it doesn't mean that people shouldn't get vaccinated because I read one more comment about how you, why should you get vaccinated if you could still test positive? She was barely sick. That's the whole point, people. Anyways, um, but yeah, just really unfortunate. And hopefully come 2024 in Paris, she's able to compete for the U.S. on that three-on-three squad and make up for the fact that she missed it this year. Yes, public service announcement. You should still get vaccinated because the people that are testing positive make up it's some minuscule number, like what, 100th, 1,000th of the vaccinated population and an even tinier percentage end up in the hospital. So you are almost completely safe from the virus. Get vaccinated. Public service announcement from your favorite UConn women's basketball podcasters. But yeah, if there's any single player that I want to be in Paris for those next Olympics, it's Katie Lou Samuelson because she did everything to earn going this time. And it was something out of her control that prevented her from going, which is just, I, it's brutal. It's so absolutely brutal. So hopefully when we get to 2024, which is really not that far off, Katie Lou Samuelson is going to be on that three on three team, whether or not she's joined by a UConn player. I don't know, because that is a long time for other players to earn the points or whatever. And the leaderboard to be able to go to the Olympics, Samuelson deserves to go more than really anyone else I can even think of in the world. 
Yeah, agreed. So, so hopefully she will be on the team. I mean, she obviously has the fact that she's young and has already been in this three on three circuit on her side because um, it is still re- relatively new and not a whole lot of players kind of in that circuit. So, um, hopefully we will see her there in, in 2024, which, yeah, like you said, is, I mean, it's only three years away, which is odd for an Olympics, but I feel like it doesn't even feel like it's like three years away. It feels very close for some reason. It can wait. Like we don't need to get there too fast. We're just getting through these Olympics right now, (laughs) but onto the five on five competition. The quarterfinals are here. Team USA is playing Australia in their quarterfinal matchup, France and Gabby Williams. They are playing Spain. Notably absent from that group is Canada who came in with designs on winning their first Olympic medal. And that is not going to happen. They got bounced in the group stage. They were bad. They lost their first game. They recovered in their second game and then lost to Spain in their third game. They missed out on advancing by four points because they had the worst point differential of the third place finishers. Australia had four points with a 10 point differential, a plus 10 point differential. France also had four points with a plus 10 gold point differential. Canada had a plus seven gold differential. That is a tough way to miss out, but with the way they were playing, it's hard to imagine that, oh, if they just got there, they would have ended up in the one of the medal rounds. I don't really know if that's true. They probably would have ended up getting bounced in the quarterfinal round anyways. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they had a tough draw. They played uh, Serbia in that first game, which just won the Eurobasket tournament. And then Spain is also a good team. But I feel like, I don't know, to me, it feels like maybe a bit of a common theme in these kind of opening rounds is I think there seems to be a bit of an advantage for like these European teams that play together consistently. They play in things like Eurobasket and they have kind of more of a team dynamic where you look at, obviously the U.S. has won every game, but not maybe by as much as people expected. And a team like Canada and other teams where you have these kind of WNBA players that are a lot of the core of your team that are playing in, the WNBA season right now and haven't been training kind of full-time with with the national team and I think you're seeing a little bit of that in Australia too in the same case because Australia a team that would probably have been favored to be a you know silver medalist and now just kind of sneaking in there to the to the quarterfinals so I think you're seeing a little bit of that that impact versus the teams in Europe where you know they've been training together full-time. Kia Nurse was obviously a key player for Canada but Aliyah Edwards who made the roster was almost a complete non-factor. She played a grand total of 31 seconds in the Olympics, which I don't really understand because it was 15 seconds in one game and 16 seconds in the other. What's the point of even putting her out there? Like, yeah, she can say that she's played in the Olympics, but what's like, you can't afford to give her two minutes. And I'm not overly surprised that she didn't play a ton because I thought she was a little overmatched in the America cup. And obviously the Olympics are a step up, but when you're a team like Canada, who's been, disappointing and haven't really been able to find a spark you don't want to even give her a chance out there for literally two or three minutes you don't have to play her for an entire quarter just give her a chance I don't really understand how she didn't get any playing time and what I understand even less is what the point of 15 seconds was twice yeah, exactly. I watched that, the game against Serbia, their opening game, and I think by the time I realized she was on the court, she was already coming off the court. I was just like, oh, okay, well, I'm glad I got up at 4 a.m. to watch her play. But, I mean, that was a good game overall, so it's all fine, but agreed. I, I just don't – no one could accomplish anything in the court in 15 seconds, so kind of pointless. At the very least, this is a good experience for Leah Edwards. I think it's good that she was at the Olympics, that she was training with this team. She got so much more out of it 
than I think she would have if she was at UConn for summer sessions. So it's going to be very interesting to see what type of Aaliyah Edwards comes back next year because we've obviously heard about how everyone's doing in their second year and things like that. We haven't heard anything like that about Aaliyah Edwards from anyone in the program. So it's a good experience, even if that game time wasn't there. But it's overall got to be really disappointing to not be able to do anything and have your team flame out that early, especially going in with huge expectations for yourselves. For sure. Yeah, it definitely has to be frustrating for her. But at the same time, just the experience of training with some of the best in the world. There's multiple WNBA players on that Canada squad. So training with people that are really at that next level, I think is going to be huge for her when she's just heading into her you know, second season in college. And then Gabby Williams with France. I haven't had a chance to watch her at all, but just looking at the box scores of what she's done, it has just been vintage Gabby Williams from her UConn days where it's almost always like between 10 and 15 points, like eight rebounds, five assists, and like four steals every single time. Like all those stats are there every single night. And I think that's probably something we haven't really seen in the WNBA. So it's good to see that emerging on a world stage like the Olympics going forward. Yeah, exactly. I think she's been really solid for France, who's, I think they're onto the quarterfinals, probably a team that's looking to contend for a medal at this point. I think they're, they're definitely going to be in that conversation. So kind of, like you said, vintage Gabby Williams, and hopefully that'll translate to the WNBA next year. I think there was an article, and I am forgetting who wrote it, but last week, I think about, you know, how she's like very happy with her decision to, to forgo playing in the WNBA this year, just to focus on this international commitment. So hopefully we'll see some of that with the Sparks next season. I think, you know, she's the way the roster stands right now, at least she's stepping into an opportunity where she can make a big impact on that team. So hopefully this, this experience will help translate to that. I think it was ESPN. I didn't actually read yeah, it, but I'm, I'm pretty sure right. I saw it on ESPN. Yeah, go check that out. Team USA, obviously all the UConn players on it. As we probably expected, Brianna Stewart has been carrying the torch for that squad. Had a double-double in their second game, almost had a double-double in their third game. I don't think she's been USA's best player, but she's been very, very good for them. Like, that's not a knock on Stewie. That's just Asia Wilson has been playing extremely well for USA basketball. So having those two type of players leading the way, absolutely nobody in the world has a matchup for one Brianna Stewart. Nobody has a matchup for a Brianna Stewart and an Asia Wilson. Those are just two incredible athletes and players for their size, their athleticism, and the skills that come with it. So as long as those two are playing well, I mean, it's going to be hard for USA to lose to begin with, but it's going to be really hard for them to lose with those two on their game. Like, obviously, basketball is a team game, and you have five people out on the court, but when two of them are the two best players in the world and are just total matchup nightmares, that can get you pretty far. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're talking about the, the last two WNBA MVPs, the two players that probably are your front runners for MVP for this year, or well, two, not total front runners, because Uncle Jones for Connecticut as well, but two of your front runners for WNBA MVP this year. I mean, there's just, yeah, no one in the world really that has a matchup for that kind of talent. And for all the hand-wringing and outcry about Neko Umake not being on the team, Tina Charles had a very good game in the U.S.'s group stage finale. She had 15 points, was a big spark off the bench, helped him get that win. The rest of them, Sue Bird has just kind of been Sue Bird. She's, I think she had 11 assists in the first game, which is just peak Sue Bird. 11 assists with no points, I think I need to mention. Have we talked about Sue Bird being the flag bearer for the Olympics, actually? 
that's we a very not, so big yeah, thing to big mention. Deal. Yeah. <laughs> Super <laughs> got picked as the flag bearer for the U S in the Olympics, huge honor, but also it just seems like she is the most fitting person to do that. Obviously I don't know the entire U S delegation off the top of my head in general. She's a very, very fitting pick. And I think that was represented in her being voted for it. Yeah, exactly. And really cool for her in her fifth Olympics to get the honor. So definitely, you know, a, a huge, huge thing for her. Right. But in general, seems like Sue Bird's been Sue Bird. Diana Taurasi hasn't been phenomenal. She did have the highest plus minus of anyone on the U.S. squad in their opener by a very, very wide margin, despite playing fewer minutes than a lot of other players. So it's not just that obviously they won. So she has a good plus minus. No, she was clearly the highest one on the team. She hurt her wrist against against France. She returned to the game. She didn't play a ton. She didn't stop to speak with the media post game. So I don't think there's an update on her status right now. It doesn't seem to be too severe though. She can come back and continue to play, but, and then Nafisa Collier really hasn't played a whole lot, which I don't think is that much of a surprise, but in general, I think it's probably fair to say that all the UConn players have more or less performed right around where we've expected them to, right? Yeah, I think that's definitely fair to say. Um, I think going in, it was especially the way that they also played in exhibition games. You expected that Collier wouldn't wouldn't see a ton, whole ton of time, and she's also kind of I feel like playing behind Stewie at that three, and you know, there's just taking Brianna Store off the court is not obviously never really in the team's best interest, so it makes sense. So going into the quarterfinals. U.S. is still favored to win gold. It's not like anything's changed for that. They haven't just rolled through everyone. I think they've been down at the end of every single first quarter so far, so they haven't just been blowing teams out wire to wire. But at this point, are you concerned at all about their chances of winning gold? Nope. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Very good way to sum it up. <laughs> yeah, just no concerns, I think. I mean, like you said, you have Asia Wilson and Brianna Store all added everything else that they have as well. I just there's really no team that has the matchup in the front court to to kind of take down this US team, I don't think. I think the only team that would have had a shot at that would have been Australia, but with Liz Cambage not there, I just I don't see anyone having the, the matchup in the front court to to actually beat them. Yeah, I mean it's again gonna be the upset of the century if someone manages to beat the US. It might not be by the huge margins that we've been used to in the past, but it's still not going to be very close. U.S. can play their C game. Another team can play their A game, and it still might be an 18-point victory. It's just that's what the talent differential is. Hopefully some of these games can actually be at reasonable hours, and in the quarterfinal <laughs> game isn't. That's a 1240. Is that – we're recording on Tuesday, so is that tonight? I think it is, I, right? I believe it is tonight. Yeah, I know. I said like an hour this morning trying to figure out if it was tonight or tomorrow night, but yeah, I believe it is tonight. <laughs> Is it just me or has it been impossible to find like good information about the Olympics? Like what, what time games are, but also what the friggin' TV channel is for them. I don't know why NBC doesn't just have this big list of this is what channel this thing you want to watch is. It's like, Oh no, you can watch it on the Olympic app or you can watch it on NBCSports.com. Or if you stick a satellite in the air and turn it 35 <laughs> degrees northward, then you might be able to get the signal of the gymnastics like events it's so hard to figure out what's going on and especially having to write about it and tell people where they can do this like to tell you where you can find it that means i need to figure out where it is and i can't figure out where it is it is 
uh, I don't know if it's just me or if it's the time difference or what, but I've had such an impossible time trying to figure all this out. No, it's, it's so horribly organized. And I'm like, it's 2021. Like it should be easy to find where all this stuff is on the internet. And for some reason it's not, I'm like shocked that like, when I like, you know, when you most of the time, like during the college season, if I Google like UConn women's basketball schedule at the top of Google, it's going to come up with like, this is when they're playing at what time and on what television channel. <laughs> and like, it, it does not work like that for the Olympics at all. It is very difficult to find. I do think the basketball actually I found is now in like the ESPN app. So you can find it there. It's so easy. Like you can't run out of space on the internet. So just post 10 million articles. If you're NBC Oh, you want to watch swimming? You want to watch when Katie Ledecky is going swimming? This is the exact time. This is the channel. There you go. Solved. You want to figure out when this person is running in this race? Up oh, here you go. Here's this. Like, and even if you go to the NBC schedule and go through the sports, it doesn't tell you how to watch it. It just links you to the feed of it, which isn't very helpful because I'm not trying to watch something that I can pull up on my TV on my computer. It drives me insane. It's driven me insane the entire Olympics. And I understand the time difference is going to mean I can't watch a ton of games, but at least tell me when things are going to be replaying. Tell me when the live one is showing. Tell me what channel. It is not that difficult. Put me in charge. I'll figure it out for you. Yeah, I feel like they just need like a master schedule that you can filter by like sport or team or like athlete and figure out when they're on it. It just shouldn't be that hard. Well, hopefully... If USA gets to the gold medal game, there's at least a reasonable time for that. I think it's a 10:30 game, so it's not like that's an early game or it's it's not like that's an early night game or a late-ish morning game as in not 4 a.m. But compared mm-hmm. to 12:40, I will take that every single day. I I won't complain about 10:30 if they get to the gold medal game because that one's actually reasonable to try and watch. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm all for something that starts at 1030 or like after 6am at this point. <laughs> Even the 6am makes things feel easy after getting up at 4am for yep. women's soccer. 4am <laughs> exactly. is just an ungodly hour to get up at. Oh my god. It's brutal. Yeah, it's, it's just way too early. <laughs> like, I think I just need to take like a week to sleep and reset everything and then we can go from there but at least paris isn't going to be that bad of a time difference because at worst the very early events are going to be early in the morning but even those like what time do the things do the events even start it can't be that yeah i don't think it's really an issue with like i don't think stuff starts that more early in the morning i think the only issue with paris is like if you have a day job and then like everything's on at like 2 p.m but yeah, <laughs> I, I think it should be much better when it's in Paris. And then after that, 2028 is L.A., so everything should be a nice uh, hours for America, at least. I mean, like, at least those day ones, it just feels easier to figure out when things are. It's not like, oh, this is going to be exactly when you're sleeping. Like, and if you try and stay up for this, you totally torch your sleep schedule. It's like, okay, <laughs> this thing's happening. I might take today off from work or, like, I might right. take a long one or, like, I I will take that any day over. No, everything is going to happen when you're sleeping and maybe you can catch it before you go to sleep or when you wake up early, or maybe it's just a combination of neither and you're out of luck. It's, I hate it so much. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. 
I do wish they would like expand the like highlights coverage at night a little bit to cover more sports. Like if you like, cause they covered like the full gymnastics every night at prime time, even though it happens in the morning. And I'm like, why don't we just get like highlights from the basketball games for the day and things like that then too, that would help because I feel like otherwise, yeah, it's just impossible to keep up with everything at this point. Also, this is a very specific complaint that nobody listening is going to be able to relate to, but for some reason, NBC doesn't allow anyone to embed their YouTube videos in like a story which seems very backwards. Like I want to put the highlights for the game in the Olympic update that I do. And for some reason I can't do that. I don't understand why you wouldn't want to do that because you're still getting the views on your YouTube channel. Aren't you like, I don't think views that come through a different platform don't count. It makes no sense to me. Aren't you, you're a broadcasting corporation broadcast. Yeah, exactly. Honestly, I feel like their whole thing is ridiculous, right? Because you can't use like any clips on Twitter or Instagram or anything. It's just like, I don't know. I feel like it's just a disservice to the athletes and like being able to properly cover these Olympics when you can't post any highlights anywhere. That's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, it's very, very frustrating. And then the worst part is like, I mean, this isn't really related to UConn women's basketball. It is to a certain degree, actually, where there just aren't highlights for if Canada women's basketball was playing or France, like you just don't find those. And if there were highlights, they were tweeted out by like CBC or like BBC. And all of those videos are location based so that you can't watch them on Twitter in the U S. So if you didn't watch the game live, or if you didn't have it recorded, there are no highlights for you. You just have to read the box score pretty much. And this is 2021. Why are we still doing things like you would, even like 15 years ago on the internet, it's mind blowing. Yeah, it's, it's stupid. <laughs> There's no nice word for it. It's just dumb. It's very frustrating. And especially when part... things are on at 4 a.m. Like, no one wants yes. to get up at 4 a.m. <laughs> yes. And the worst part, too, is like NBC's actual Olympic coverage, like when you're watching, is fantastic. And it always has been. The studio stuff they have is great, the features that they show, the way that they broadcast the games. The exception of when they put the screen or what you're watching in a very tiny screen to tell you what's coming up. That is the one fault I have, but like they've picked really good announcers like Mike Tirico hosting in the studio or not really the studio, but on whatever that peer is, that's been really good. The analyst, like every single time I've watched the announcers, I felt have been adding something to the broadcast because I don't really know what I'm watching. If it's like swimming, the dude who does, does swimming is fantastic. Or if it's gymnastics, like, I don't know what I'm watching with gymnastics. I'm just seeing them flip 50 times and I'm like, wow, that looks great. And then the analyst is like, no, that actually sucks because of this. And it's like, oh, I didn't know that. Thank you. So NBC has been so great with their physical coverage and how they've been presenting these games, but they have been so bad on the back end and even the front end and the internet part of it. It's like, it's just such a distinction from each other like one side so good the other side so bad yeah exactly like you said everything on tv has been fantastic it always is right and they've got a lot of different stuff i feel like every year they have different stuff too they've got like a four because i'm a nerd i'm like i they have like a by the numbers section this year that i've been like loving on the broadcast which i'm like how do i get that job but anyway um yeah it's so it's so fantastic on tv and then just so awful everywhere else it makes no sense I feel like they're like living it in like 10 years ago where like the, only the TV broadcast mattered. And it's like, no, now you need to have like the social media highlights and everything else too to like round out that coverage. 
Yeah, like realistically, you can't have one Twitter account trying to tweet everything. Like you should basically have a Twitter account for every single sport. Well, and it doesn't help that the schedules were so stupid for a lot of things. Like there were so many overlapping games and so many games that just weren't like taken into account for where the home country is. And I don't, this probably isn't really NBC's fault, but like this is more now a rant on the Olympic committee especially the semifinal games for women's soccer, because this one's fresh in my head, Canada and the U S were in a semifinal together. And that was a 4 a.m. game, which means that everyone in those two countries, were going to watch it between the times of 4 a.m. And 1 a.m. Except for Canada or not Canada, Alaska and Hawaii, they don't count. And then it was Australia and Sweden at 6 a.m. Both those countries would have been fine with the 4 a.m. Kick because that would have been what 10 a.m. in Sweden, and let me do the math for Some Australia. I think it's evening time eight. in Australia. I think <laughs> right. So like it would have worked for them. What harm is it in just flipping those two times so that the U.S. and Canada kick off at 6 a.m. or was it 7 a.m.? It was one of the two. You would have had so many better numbers, and it's such an easy switch to make. I just don't understand why that needed to happen. And that's just been an annoyance the entire tournament. Like why is USA basketball playing every single game at 1240 when you have time slots that the U S is going to be able to watch? It's, it makes no sense to me how it got scheduled this poorly. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's very unfortunate. (laughs) It's very frustrating. Yeah. And it's also like, I just feel the very heavy desire where every waking moment, in the morning and at night, I like need to be watching the Olympics because it's like Olympics must watch. But I think someone else mentioned it where it's like, I just don't have that like burning desire to watch every single thing. And I feel like that kind of comes down to the time difference. It's just tough to, oh, it's late in the day. I'm tired. I'll watch the Olympics for a little bit, but then I kind of want to do something else. Or like I wake up, I'm doing stuff in the morning. Like I don't really have time to sit down and watch stuff. So it is a little disappointing in that regard that like sometimes the Olympics are so fun to watch and I don't really feel that myself this year. Yeah. I feel like part of it is just like the no fans and stuff too. Like it comes to yeah. the television and stuff. Like I think it's just, yeah, but agreed. I feel like I've been invested in watching a lot, but probably not as much as I have in past years. Yeah. Like I remember Rio specifically, I would come home from wherever I was, turn on the TV and just sit and watch like badminton. And then badminton would turn into like, I don't even know, like swimming coverage and then water polo would come on and I would just watch all of it. And now it's like, I'll kind of flip through some things while I'm on my phone doing other things. And I just haven't been totally locked in like years past. I remember. Yeah, exactly. I am excited for things getting down to the wire. Next time we record, there's a very good chance that five more UConn players are going to have gold medals. It's going to be a ways until our next recording. As I mentioned earlier, if you missed it, we're going to be taking a one episode break, which more or less results in a one month break. We will return after that with the season getting closer and closer. Be sure to subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. I know it seems like no one uses Stitcher. I've actually started using it because someone designed the Apple podcast app to just be the worst functioning thing in the history of humanity. Oh my God, it is horrible. And I just don't really like Spotify to begin with. So I use Stitcher. I don't know if I'm the only one on the planet that does, but this is not a Stitcher ad. This is a free ad for them, but subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I don't judge. Also tell a friend, 
be sure to read the UConn blog. Subscribe to UConn Women's Basketball Weekly. Megan, do you have anything to send us into our break? We will talk to you all in a month. Have a good rest of your summer.